Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast, where experts come to discuss the problems oncologists, reference labs, and payers face as precision medicine grows and consider solutions for advancing the quality of patient-centered cancer care. Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast. I'm Jerome Madison, Vice President of Provider Relations and one of the hosts. And today I have with me author, speaker, and breast cancer thriver, Laura Holmes Haddad, who wrote the book, This is Cancer, Everything You Need to Know from the Waiting Room to the Bedroom. Now that's a provocative title. Laura, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your work with us. It's such a pleasure to be here, Jerome. Thank you. Absolutely. You know, we've been talking about this and you connected with our producer, Karen, who brought the book to us. And you mentioned that it is what to expect when you're expecting book for the diagnosis you don't want to be stuck with, which is cancer. What inspired you to write the book and how has it been received? Well, the book came about really because during my journey with stage four breast cancer, I realized how much I didn't know and how much my family didn't know. And I thought we couldn't possibly be the only ones who didn't know details, everything from what is chemotherapy really like to what's it like for a young adult cancer patient who also has kids, who also is working, you know, how does cancer affect your marriage, your partnership? So all these little details that I couldn't find answers to in the pamphlets and my doctors and my oncology offices, I really set out to answer those questions and really also help patients create something for patients that they could pick up and say, oh, me too. I felt that way too and feel some sort of comfort. And I have to say the feedback has been incredible. And surprisingly to me, it's caregivers who I hear the most from who really say, thank you for talking about things from a patient's perspective that I had no idea my loved one or my friend was going through. And it helps them be a better caregiver, friend, support to the patient. I can imagine you approach it with such a level of candor. If you don't mind, can you tell us about that portion of your journey of receiving your diagnosis and getting to the point where your initial doctors felt that there was nothing else to be done? Yes. It took me completely by surprise, as I'm sure you hear from every cancer patient, but I had been a very healthy, regular 30-something. I had turned 37 when I had this pain that wouldn't go away on my left side of my chest. And I had two young children. My son was just about a year old and my daughter was four. And so I thought it was a tired, busy mom. And when I finally went to my GP, she thought, well, it's probably mastitis and gave me antibiotics and told me to see a breast surgeon, quote, just to be sure. And a month later, I finally went in. I got a mammogram, an ultrasound, and a biopsy. And within a few days, I found out that I had advanced inflammatory breast cancer. The pain that I had been feeling was an 11 centimeter tumor in my left breast. And I obviously was stunned and frightened and didn't expect breast cancer, obviously, at such a young age. And my family and I said, okay, we're going to beat this. We went and got a first, a second, and a third opinion and started chemotherapy. And what I thought would be 
rounds of chemo and maybe some radiation turned into a many year journey and eventually led me to a clinical trial, which saved my life. Wow. You know, you talk about in your book, you mentioned that it's okay not to like your doctor. (laughs) And we were talking before that I think that's very important because many times patients perceive their doctor as their sole lifeline. And what that individual says is gospel when in fact, you know, physicians are as diverse as people with different opinions and levels of experience and certainly personalities that work well with some and not well with others. You know, what would you say to other patients to encourage them who feel they want to explore other options but are apprehensive about, you know, seeking a second opinion? I think that is the biggest takeaway and the most unexpected takeaway from my entire experience is the self-advocacy and the prioritization of you, the patient, understanding that your time and your needs are just as important as your providers, as your physicians. And you are allowed to not like your doctor. And I am someone who thought, you know, I will show up, just tell me what to do. I'll do anything you say. I'll take any drug you give me. Not thinking that everything else about the physician and the physician's office would matter, especially in something as horrifying and scary as cancer. And so that is something I hear all the time is someone saying, I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want them to think Mm -hmm. that I don't like them. And number one thing I say is (laughs) it's you, it's your cancer. Do what feels right for you. Yeah. And in addition to that, you had to do quite a bit of work or find really the courage to do the additional work to find additional care. What was that process like and and how did it turn out? So without my family who fought for me, oh, like mama grizzlies, any, you know, insert any metaphor there, I would not be here. I could not have possibly attempted to research, to contact the medical centers to push and advocate for myself without this team around me. And that's what I feel so passionate about now is making sure that people realize that if you don't have that team, there are other people in the oncology world who will help you because most often it's going to take more than you. It's going to take people around you to, even if it's just helping you navigate your health insurance or help you navigate the scientific terms or understand what your treatment will involve, you need to understand and you need to ask for help and often rely on other people to help you. So when you put in that work, what provider did you find and how did they treat you differently from the initial physician? When I found the oncologist who became my oncologist and remains my oncologist, I found a mix of someone who knew the science, who knew the cutting edge science, which was something that I needed in terms of treatment options, as well as someone who would support me and not in a hold my hand kind of way. That's what I realized is you can't get everything from your oncologist. They're not there to hold your hand, but someone who understood my needs and understood how far I was willing to go And that's ultimately what saved my life. Mm -hmm. And what did they find when they started to approach your tumor differently from a more 
precision medicine perspective? What they found was there were some options. And at that point, this was late 2012, early 2013. And while there weren't many standards of care, you know, my oncologist was aware of certain clinical trials and just his understanding of clinical trial options and how to obtain and apply for a clinical trial on my behalf was what I found out later is rare in and of itself. How difficult was it to get into the clinical trial and what did you kind of find out about that whole process of what it takes to be an approved candidate? So the education on my behalf about clinical trials was another very unexpected turn. I should say I was an English major. I was not a great science person. So when I heard the words clinical trial, I immediately said, no, I don't want to be a guinea pig. You know, every bit of me said, no, no, no. And then when I found out that actually, you know, how many people you will help beyond yourself, that in a clinical trial, they are trying drugs that could ultimately save your life. I you know, obviously changed my opinion rather quickly. In addition, I didn't realize that it is your oncologist who has to apply on your behalf, that you can attempt to research the trials by yourself. However, that is, I would think, a very time-consuming endeavor. You not only have to know everything about your medical background in terms of your chart, but there's just so many elements to make you a candidate. And then in addition, I didn't know that there are time limits and time constraints. I didn't know that trials are open and closed. I didn't know that trials can happen all over the country. And so it's these details that are really crucial to understand before you sign on the dotted line. But on that note too, I also didn't realize that you can at any time leave a trial, that you are not signing away any rights, that you are not giving up anything by joining a trial. Mm -hmm. And what you shared with us, and I'm not sure if you get into that with the book, but the most intriguing thing to me about your case is you were treated with a PARP inhibitor, which is not indicated for your disease. And there is this change of philosophy and belief, especially with oncology, that we're moving from treating the disease that is the tissue of origin to treating the patient's biology, treating that patient based on what their tumor is expressing. And that's essentially what happened with you in the clinical trial. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, that is exactly right. And how the term precision medicine and targeted therapy, in addition, is the approach of looking at your tumor profile, as well as now recognizing that cancers might not be, are not separate, that lung cancer does not necessarily have a very different treatment from breast, that lung and breast cancers are actually very similar in some regards. That was a lesson that I had to learn. And in addition, what I did not know in terms of understanding my genetic profile was that that would ultimately create more treatment options, that now scientists are really understanding that certain cells in individual tumors might react to certain drugs, and that this is exactly why the clinical trials are happening and why this ultimately could be such an exciting avenue of treatment options for cancer patients. Yeah. And the aftermath of that 
has been the drug that you were treated with ultimately was not approved for your diagnosis, but you were one of the super responders in the trial. And as a result, and I'm not sure as a result of that in particular, but since that time, this drug is now, there's 96 clinical trials using this targeted therapy, this PARP inhibitor for different malignancies. How incredible is that to know that you're kind of part of the success and of expanding how people think about targeted therapy in particular of this drug? Well, you can't see the smile on my face, but it is just so gratifying to know that it not only helped me, but it will hopefully help so many other patients. And after you go through it as a patient, I don't think you cannot feel this inclination to help other patients or to help other people who hopefully will not become cancer patients. Mm -hmm. So not only did you write the book, but you have decided to become a public advocate for other cancer patients. Tell us a little about some of the activities that you do on an annual basis to advocate for cancer patients and precision medicine. Yes, this was another wonderful life turn that I really felt compelled to get involved in advocacy work and telling my story on a broader stage and to reach more audiences. What I've learned is that given patient privacy laws, HIPAA laws, and just cultural barriers and other barriers that cancer stories don't always get told, that a patient's perspective isn't always shared. And I think it's so crucial to understand that, you know, not only hearing the success stories, but also hearing how it is for patients along the way. That if someone, let's say a researcher says, oh, I have this great drug and all we need to do is get it in the patient's bodies. Well, in between, you know, you have the patient who can't access the trial, who may not be able to literally get to a trial, who may have small children who cannot relocate to the trial. Those are just a few things that come up that financial health insurance, I mean, there are just so many barriers to getting cancer care that that is what I speak about most passionately. And also to show patients, you know, look, I came through this and I'm on the other side of it. I am living with long-term side effects, but I am here and I can hopefully make some change and not only speaking about the patient experience, but hopefully moving the needle in terms of research dollars, in terms of, again, in terms of patient care and hopefully provider education and just so many other things that are a part of providing excellent and modern cancer care for patients. I've spoken to a wide variety of audiences, everything from American Cancer Society's ASCAN, um, which is their legislative effort for research dollars, to making strides against breast cancer, to I was the patient voice for then Vice President Biden's Precision Medicine Moonshot Roundtable, where I spoke about my experience in a clinical trial. I've also spoken at my local congressman at his town hall about proposed changes to the ACA and speaking out about the financial toxicity of cancer care and the implications of losing the pre-existing condition status in health insurance. So a really wide variety and again, really trying to just give my honest perspective and 
the realities of being a cancer patient in this day and age. Amazing. For those who are out there listening and you want to get in touch with Laura, Laura, if you could give them your website or your social media handles, how can they get the book? And if they're interested in having you come speak, how can they get in touch? Wonderful. Well, my website is lauraholmeshaddad.com. And the book, This is Cancer, Everything You Need to Know from the Waiting Room to the Bedroom, is available everywhere books are sold. And my Twitter handle is at Haddad. And I would love to hear from any and everyone. I tell you, there's a question that we ask every guest that's on the show. And I'm fascinated to ask you this question because here at Trapello, we lead the conversation of why precision medicine tools and targeted therapy should be reimbursed when used appropriately and to bring those into the clinical workflow. So those frontline doctors can know what therapies are available. They'll know molecular profile, the genetic profile of a patient's tumor. Tell us why from a patient's perspective, it is so important that clinicians have access and that insurance companies reimburse and remove the barriers that are typically associated with getting these innovative therapies? Well, making sure that every oncology patient can access treatment options according to their genetic or molecular profile is really the future of cancer care, I believe. And how knowing this information and having it be accessible as the research keeps coming, I mean, day to day, month to month, I'll never forget my oncologist, and this is January 2013, telling me that if I had come in five years before, he would have had no treatment options to suggest to me. And how quickly the science moves. And I always describe it as kind of like dog years, that so many things are happening on the research and biotech and pharma front that we need to be ready, that getting tested It might not help you right now, but who knows? It could help you next month, next year. And in terms of my personal story, in my case, now that I know I'm BRCA2, in addition to helping me access care while I was in the middle of fighting breast cancer, it also has left me in long-term oversight for the cancers that could develop. So if you're BRCA2 positive, for example, both men and women can be BRCA2 positive, and knowing that you have that mutation leaves you at much higher risk for prostate, ovarian, skin, breast, and pancreatic cancers. So I will be monitored my whole life. In addition, knowing that also caused my sister and my mom to be tested. I have two children. They will ultimately need to be tested. And, you know, knowing that hopefully this will ultimately open other doors for treatment options or will help other patients is ultimately the goal. Awesome. Laura Holmes Haddad, the author of This is Cancer, Everything You Need to Know from the Waiting Room to the Bedroom. Thank you for being on the Precision Medicine Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jerome. You bet. And of course, the transcripts are available at precisionmedicinepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I'm sure you know someone else who would. So please tell them because they'll thank you. And so will we. 